The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. How many of you guys have been enjoying this series, A Better Way? Fruit of the Spirit series has been so good. Every message, I feel like you can um, take it and right away begin to apply it in your life and see that this is not just a better way, but this is the best way to be in relationship with people. If you've missed any of the messages, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen uh, because they've all been so, so good. Uh, But we are in week six of this series, and today we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that is goodness. Somebody say goodness. Goodness. Um, About, I don't know, it was a couple months ago, maybe at the beginning of the year, Uh, Pastor Josh and I and some of our team were meeting about this series, and Josh is saying, Sarah, which one of the fruits do you want to teach on in the series? And I'm looking over the list and saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And as soon as I said that, I felt drawn to goodness. And Josh like, you should teach on self-control. And I I just felt drawn to goodness. And not because um, I knew exactly what I would teach on, on this subject, but it was kind of the opposite. I felt drawn to it, and then I kind of felt like, this is the underdog fruit. Like this is kind of like the least flashy fruit of the spirit. Like everybody knows love and joy and peace and patience, but goodness kind of seems like the forgotten one. It's kind of like if you're playing trivia and somebody says, name all of Snow White's seven dwarfs. And you're like, okay, I got this. It's grumpy. It's happy. It's dark. It's sleepy. It's bashful. It's dopey. And it's and your timer's going down and you can't, like you can't think of the last one. And it's, ah, it's sneezy. Goodness is kind of like the sneezy of the bunch, right? Like everybody knows love, joy, peace, and patience. I imagine that if Steve Harvey were to go, you know, walk the streets like he does for the show and, and, and get answers for Family Feud about what the fruit of the spirits are, um, I don't think that goodness would be the number one answer, right? That, that survey would say it was the number one answer. I think it would be on the bottom of the list. But it's right here. It's in our text. You know, and... <laughs> When, the, when, we, when I picked goodness, it was funny because then I was like, I'm just going to go look at my favorite commentator and he'll help me get started on this fruit of the spirit. When I looked at my favorite commentator, it said goodness, he said see kindness. I was like, no, 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 no. These are two different fruits of the spirit. They're not the same, okay? Galatians 5.22, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, goodness. Now the word good, I think in our culture, it has been overused. It has been misused. It's been lost in translation. And because of that, we don't know what's good, right? Uh, Like for instance, we sing in church, you are good. You are good. Uh, right? Um, <laughs> but then we also say, like, how's your burrito? Somebody asks you that, and you're like, oh, it's okay. It was good, I guess. It was good. Um, or like you're doing that, that survey to win the $5,000 to Home Depot, and it's like, tell me about your experience today. Rate your visit on a scale of one to five, one being terrible, two being all right, three being good, four being great, and five being excellent. 
good is kind of in the middle of the road. And, and then we even have books, like business books called From Good to Great, like indicating that good is not good enough. And good is just not that good, which is why maybe this is the least familiar fruit. This is the underdog fruit. This is a, fre- a frequently forgotten fruit of the spirit, goodness. When um, this Christmas, Josh got me this mirror and it's a lighted mirror. The, the, the lights are inside the mirror and when you turn it on, it's like, sh- like a strobe light. It's like so bright or a floodlight and you're looking into it and you're going, oh my gosh, like I did not know that's what my face looked like. It's terrifying. I was like, I hate this Christmas present. Um, but it, I, I'll let you in on a little secret, dudes that are single. If you're married, you already know. Now, when a girl is putting on her makeup, she puts like eyeshadow or whatever it is on the brush and then she taps, right? The swirl and then the tap off the extra. And so where she puts on her makeup, there's always like this layer of grime, of makeup residue until it's time to clean the bathroom and then it goes away and then it starts all over. So the mirror the other day, I'm looking into it and realizing like, I'm not as scary as usual. What's going on? I can't see. The lights aren't bright enough. So I get out the Windex, spray it, wipe it down, and then the light returns. It's restored to its original brightness. This is what I want to do with the word goodness this morning because there's been so many layers of like built up grime that have settled over this word goodness. We're going to get out the Windex. We're going to get in the word. We're going to wipe it off so it can be returned to its original brilliance and its brightness. Sound good? All right. So in the New Testament, you're going to see the word good over and over and over again. But the two words that are uh, most frequently translated as good are agathos and kalos. And kalos means beauty, it means nobility, it means usefulness. But today we're going to talk about the word agathos because it's the root word of goodness that we see that Paul uses when he says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It's agathosune, agathosune. Write this down, it means uprightness of heart and life. That word translated, that's what it means. The fruit of the spirit is uprightness of heart and life. And then the root word agathos means morally honorable, pleasing to God and therefore beneficial. This is like our working definition of goodness for the rest of this message. Uprightness of heart, morally pleasing or morally honorable, pleasing to God and beneficial. So chances are that that burrito that you said that was good, it wasn't Agatha Sune good. It was not upright in its heart and life. It was not morally honorable. It was just okay, and that's okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It is agathosune. The fruit of the spirit is a life in a heart that is upright. The fruit of the spirit goodness means that your life is devoted to making every effort to being transformed into the image of Jesus. The fruit of the spirit is goodness, meaning that it's pleasing. It's morally honorable. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, you want them to be pleasing to God. The fruit of the spirit is agathosune. It's beneficial to other people. This is goodness. Is the fruit of goodness on display in your life? Do the people that know you, that are close to you, that work with you, would they say that you are a good person? A good person. Now, I'm not talking about like a good, a quote, 
good person who just does regular, like decent human being type of behavior, or, or even people that, that aren't believers, but they do quote good things. Like they don't text and drive. They, they don't cheat on their spouse. They do their taxes every year. They adopt three-legged animals from the animal shelter. They do all kinds of nice and, quote, good things because they just like doing those things. It makes them feel really good about themselves. So we see the, quote, good things that they're doing, and then we label them a good person. But I'm not talking about that kind of good this morning. I am talking about a goodness that is impossible to walk in apart from a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a goodness this morning that is exclusive to Christians, to people who are born of God. And scripture has a lot to say about Agathos goodness. Look at this with me. These are different places we see this word in scripture and how we are to interact with this this word. It says we're told to prove the goodness of God. We're told to cleave to it. We're called called to do it, to work it, to follow after it, to be zealous about it, to imitate it, and to overcome evil with it. So let's look at these words, leave them up here for a little bit. I want you to just like real quick, do a checkup, a self-check. How are you doing with this in the areas of goodness? Are you proving the goodness of God in your life? Is your life one that people could look at and say, yeah, the will of God is good. It's perfect and it's pleasing. I know because I can look at their life as proof. Are you cleaving to the goodness? Like when things are going terrible and you're in a valley, are you still cleaving to the goodness of God, knowing that that God is not, he doesn't only do good, but that he is good. Are you cleaving to that? Are you doing it? Are you working it? Are you following after good? Following after it so much so that your life is upright. Your heart is upright. Are you imitating God's goodness? Are you in the word? Are you studying the character of Jesus? Are you seeking to know him more so that you can imitate him? Are you zealous? about goodness? Like, are you passionate? Is this what drives you? Is this your end game that everything, that everything in your life is pointing to that God is good? Everything in your life is pointing to, I want to please him. My thoughts, my words, my actions. Are you zealous about living a life of goodness? And in this evil, 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 evil world that we live in, are you overcoming evil with goodness? Or are you being overcome by evil? Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, with agathos. We all want to be overcomers, right? I don't think there's anybody in this room that, that wants to be conquered. We want to be conquerors. We want to conquer evil. But how do we do that? Paul tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, the way that we conquer, the way that we overcome evil is with good. It's with agathos. It's agathosune. It's living a life that's upright in heart and life. It's being morally honorable. It's living a life that's pleasing to God and benefiting others. This is how we overcome evil right here. It's with goodness. I love this because this shows us that goodness is not the underdog fruit. Goodness is the overcoming fruit. 
So get excited about goodness this morning. This is the overcoming fruit. I want to pray real quick as we dive into these points and just get our hearts in a place where we're ready. You ready? Okay, Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for just preparing our hearts, Lord. We come right now before you and we just say prepare our hearts. Any distractions, any walls that we've built up, anything that's got our attention right now, we cast it aside and we say we want to hear from you. We want revelation on your goodness so that we can bear this fruit in our life. We ask you to speak to us. Come and speak, Lord. We are listening. We're listening. Come and tear down any walls that we've built up. We're ready to receive from you this morning. Help us to hear this word, help it to grow deep into the soil of our hearts so that we can be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've got three points, and these are things that we have to understand if we want to be able to bear this overcoming fruit. So three points. Point number one is kind of a two-part point. Okay, here it is. Only God is good. Only God is good. And God is only good. Only God is good. God is only good. Now, I want you to look with me real quick in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, if you have your Bibles, turn there. This is the story of a rich young ruler, a story that we're all familiar with for the most part, but there's something in the story that we kind of breeze over because it's like, wait, what? Don't understand that. So we're just going to keep moving. But I want to look at that this morning because it's so important as we dig into this fruit of goodness. Now, it's about the rich young ruler. I'm just going to call him Richie for the rest of this point, okay? It says, now behold, one came, Richie. Richie came and said to Jesus, good teacher. Somebody say good teacher. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Jesus says to Richie, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, as we look at this first pass, this, this rich young ruler, Richie's coming up to Jesus and he's asking a question. What do I do to receive eternal life? And it seems that Jesus is annoyed or a little bit perturbed by the fact that this rich young ruler, that Richie is calling him good. And it also seems like Jesus might be denying that he is good. Why would Jesus do this? Why do you call me good? Jesus says, no one is good, but one that is God. He makes this seemingly contradictory statement that doesn't have anything to do with the original question that was being asked, which is, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? He doesn't just jump into answering that question. He makes a point to call out the fact that he, this, this Richie has called him good teacher. Jesus doesn't do anything willy-nilly. Like, why did he put this in there? Why did he go out of his way to say, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus is a heart reader. He is fully God and he is fully man. And fully God looks into Richie and he can see that Richie does not believe that he is God. He thinks he's just a morally upright, pleasing teacher, but he doesn't believe that he's God. He doesn't believe that Jesus is divine. He doesn't see his divinity. And this is proven when the rich young ruler is invited by Jesus to come and follow him, 
if only you'll give up all your possessions. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Why wouldn't he do that? Because he didn't believe that Jesus was God. So this is not Jesus denying that he is good. This is Jesus saying, hey, I am God. You don't think I'm God. And because you don't think I'm God, you shouldn't be calling me good. You shouldn't be calling me Agathos. He's making it very clear. There's only one who is good. And it's the Godhead. Jesus is good. God is good. And the Holy Spirit is good. And they're the only ones who are good, right? The next part of the point is God is only good. Only God is good. God is only good. I loved Pastor Jackson's message about joy in week two. It was so good, so fresh. And what he talked about was how if you don't believe that God is a joyful God, then you're gonna struggle to bear the fruit of joy. The same is true with goodness. If you don't believe that God is only good, then you're gonna struggle to bear the fruit of goodness. Do you believe that God is only good? That he's only good, that there's no evil in him? Do you believe that God's upright? Do you believe that God's morally honorable? Or do you sometimes question his ethics? Like maybe you found yourself thinking, if God is only good, then why have 500,000 people died with coronavirus? Or if God is morally upright, then why did he create Hitler? Why did he allow the Holocaust and slavery? If God is so good, then why did he allow me to get pregnant only to deliver a lifeless baby 20 weeks later? If God is really good, then why is there so much hurt and heartache and evil and brokenness and loss in the world? If God is good, then why? Well, I want to show you this morning that God, in his goodness, because he's only good, he never promised us that life was not going to be hard. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. It says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, maybe that's not the news you wanted to hear this morning. You don't want to hear that you're going to be afflicted and perplexed and, 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 and you're going to be uh, persecuted. You don't want to hear those things. I mean, it is decent of God, you think, that, that we will be persecuted but not forsaken. Like, at least he won't forsake us. But if he was really good, couldn't he just make all the affliction go away? Couldn't he just allow us to never have to suffer? We see that that's his original intent in the Garden of Eden, and we know that that's what heaven will be like. But again, God in his goodness shows us why it's not like that right now, why we do experience affliction. In his goodness, he shows us why there's evil. He maps it out in Genesis right off the bat. He shows us what happened. He showed us what happened to the world and why we experience evil. We see why the world is broken in Genesis, and it's not because he broke it. The world is broken because Adam and Eve rejected the creator. The world is broken because creation rejected the creator. Life is hard because what happened in the Garden of Eden, and maybe you're thinking, freaking Adam and Eve, why did they have to do that, right? But here's the thing. Life is hard because you also 
reject the creator. And life is hard because the people in your life reject the creator. And and there's consequences, there's sin, there's things that are good and are just God set into motion before he created the world. There's reaping, there's sowing, there's consequences. It's not broken because he broke it. It's broken because creation rejected him. As I was studying for this message I found myself in this place where I'm just asking God to like, show me, tell me what to say to the person in the room that can hear my voice, whether it's now or like 10 years from now listening to the podcast, they stumble upon this. The person who struggles to believe that God is only good because they've experienced such heartbreaking things, like heartbreaking things that we can't imagine. They've lived through those things and they wonder, how could God allow that to happen? If he's really good, why did he allow that to happen to me? And as I, as I asked the Holy Spirit about that, I'm telling you, this rose up in my spirit. I heard it. I didn't have to wait. Like he dropped it in there like he was waiting for me to ask it. And this is what he said. He said, show them, tell them, tell them there's no shadow of turning in me. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, like the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's a great song. And I discovered that's not just a lyric in a song, but that is scripture. That is something that's been canonized in scripture. Somebody uh, wrote this, James wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a lyric in a great, um, timeless hymn. It is scripture. It is the word of God. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. I know this verse. I pray it during baby showers. We thank you, Lord, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. But that's, I guess, where my memorization of that verse ended. I didn't know the next part was from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. What does that mean, the Father of lights? It's talking about how God is the Father of the sun. He's the Father of the moon. And he's the Father of the stars. Now, I want you to think about the sun with me for just a little while. The sun in our solar system. The sun never stops giving off light, right? It never stops giving off light. Even when there's a cloud in front of it, the sun is still shining. Even when it's completely pitch dark here in Edmond, Oklahoma, guess what? The sun is still shining. The reason that we experience nighttime, the reason we experience darkness in the earth is not because the sun stops shining, but it's because the earth turns away from the sun. Listen, like father, like son. S-U-N. He's showing us. He's like the sun. He's the father of the sun. He never has and never will stop shining goodness. Stop shining beauty. Stop shining radiance and his glory. He never stops shining goodness. When we experience darkness, it is not because he turns from us. It's because we and creation as a whole have turned from him. Now, I'm not saying that the thing that you went through was your fault because you were in, uh, in rebellion or you had turned away from God. That's not always the reason. Sometimes you can be walking with him. When we lost our baby at 20 weeks, I wasn't turned away from God in rebellion. I was seeking his face. I was in relationship with him. I was turned toward him and yet still darkness showed up on my doorstep. 
The disciples were right smack dab in the middle of the will of God, doing exactly what Jesus told them to do on a boat, going to the destination where he called them to go. They were doing what he told them to do in obedience. And a storm, a life-threatening storm came their way. And I know this isn't what we want to hear. We want to hear if we're turned towards God and he's torn, turned towards us and we're, we're walking the straight and the narrow and our, our eyes are on him, that nothing bad will ever happen. But that's not the case because again, when Adam and Eve rejected the creator, it fractured the entirety of creation. There's no part of this world that was untouched by the fall of man. So we can be doing right, but we're still every once in a while going to fall into some places that have been fractured. And it's not God that's kicking us in there, but we will experience persecution. We will experience affliction. But I've got good news for you. Psalm 40, one through three. This is just one promise of deliverance, but this is my favorite. This is the one that we founded this church on. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Think about slimy. Like if something is slimy, you're not getting out of it on your own. You can't get a good footing. You can't get a good grip. It's slimy. He lifted you out of the mud and the mire. He set your feet on a rock and gave you a firm place to stand. He put a new song in your mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So what this tells us is there's no pit deep enough, slimy enough, dark enough that God won't pull you out of when you fall in when you're doing good when you're not doing good when you fall in a pit he will pull you out of that pit and he won't put you out and just let you limp through life he puts you out of the pit pulls you out gives you a firm footing a firm footing a solid foundation and then this is the part that I love he puts a new song in your mouth a new song it's a new song because there's a new revelation that you've had of his goodness you're seeing new dimensions of his glory of his goodness there's something new that's being revealed to you about the goodness of God so you get a new song as you're pulled out of this pit and it's so powerful the deliverance is so powerful that many will see and put their trust in God many will see but that's not going to be your story if you don't believe that God is only good because if you're in the pit and you're thinking he's the one that knocked you into the pit, when he reaches his hand down to try to pull you out of the pit, you won't reach your hand back. This morning on the way here, I saw hands that have been down here thinking God's not good. I'm just gonna stay here in the pit. I can't trust him. I saw hands reaching out and God taking those hands saying, trust in me, I'm going to show you my goodness. I see hands reaching out this morning saying, you are good. There is no shadow of turning in you. Only God is good and God is only good. Amen? Amen. Number two is you are good. Now I know you're thinking, help me understand, Pastor Sarah. You just went out of your way to tell us that only God is good. And now you're saying that I'm good and that you're good. I get it, fair question, okay? But let me read you something in Ephesians 2. It says, once you were dead, once you were dead, 
You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. But here's the turn. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace, not by your goodness, but by God's grace that you've been saved. This is where it gets really good. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Listen, point number two is you are good, not because you are good, but because you are united with Christ and he is good. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And maybe um, this is something that you've had a hard time buying into. I believe this is crucial for us to understand because maybe you believe that God is good and only good, but he could not use you to bear any real goodness that can overcome evil in this world because you aren't good. Your earthly identity is still more real to you than your born again identity in Christ Jesus. Look at this with me in John 1. 43 through 46, this is when the disciples are starting to come together and form this band of brothers that would walk with Jesus and do ministry. And I know you're probably thinking, she's going to talk about how like the disciples were ragtag, but God used them to do good anyways. No, that's not where I'm going, but he did do that and that's good. But this is different, okay? It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Everything's going good. And then Nathanael says, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good, can anything agathos come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So Nathanael, who's also known as Bartholomew, he's just having a hard time wrapping his mind around the fact that anything good, <laughs> the Savior, the one, the prophets, the, the one that the prophets spoke about, that, that he could come from Nazareth. And I don't think he's being like rude or uppity or prejudiced. I think he's just genuinely going like Nazareth, like the little 400 person town off the beaten path, full of just peasant families who are eking out a living, full of like just really um, conservative people. They live um, valuing the traditions of Moses. They celebrate Passover. They don't work on the Sabbath. It's just a small conservative town. And before Jesus, it was famous for absolutely nothing. So I don't know why Philip thought that he should tag on the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth if he was trying to get Nathaniel excited, but he did. And when Nathaniel hears this, he's just like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Nathaniel would spend the next three years doing what Philip suggested to come and see. He would spend the next three years seeing the goodness that Jesus was and is that came out of Nazareth. Nathaniel knew Nazareth like you know yourself, like you know your 
old self, the self that was dead to sin, the self that used to obey the devil, the, 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 the self that used to just do whatever the world was doing. He knows Nazareth like you know your past self, the old you. And I think sometimes because we know our past selves or we know the part of us that is still working out our salvation and we're not perfected yet, we're still growing, we know the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, the things that we've said. And so we can become like Nathaniel, where we say, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like maybe somebody invites you to join um, a serve team that they're leading, or they're like, hey, host a small group with me. And you're kind of interested, or, or maybe they... Um, are, you're, you're, you're wanting to pray for somebody at work that you, you don't know real well, but you're feeling like God's saying, go pray for that person. You're wanting to invite somebody to church. Maybe you've had a revelation about forgiveness and you've finally forgiven your mother and you're feeling led to call her and, 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 and tell her what's going on in your life. It's like this goodness is wanting to sprout out of your branches. Like it's, you can feel it coming. It's wanting to sprout out. It's wanting to blossom, to blood, to, to bloom, but you push it down. You suppress it. You don't let it come out because of this Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Divorced. Can anything good come from divorced? Rejected. Can anything good come from rejected? Aborted a baby. Alcohol addiction. Pornography addiction. Struggle with lust. Know what I looked at last night. Know what I thought yesterday. Cheated on that test. Can anything good come from me? We suppress the goodness that God wants to do. Can anything good come from me? Can anything morally honorable, can anything pleasing to God, can anything beneficial to others, can it come from me? The answer is yes. Yes, if. Somebody say yes, if. Yes, if. Yes, if it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Yes, if you live and move and have your being in Christ. Yes, if you count yourself dead to sin but alive in Christ. Yes, if you recognize that you are right now, today, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, a fellow citizen with the saints. You're a saint. Yes, if you realize God has qualified you and he's prepared good works for you to do. Yes, if you identify as chosen, as a holy, royal priesthood, called out of the darkness into his marvelous life. Yes, if. Listen, how you identify will determine whether or not you bear the fruit of goodness. How you identify will determine whether you bear the fruit of goodness. We live in a day and age right now where women want to identify as men. Men want to identify as women, as children. And we see this stuff and it, it breaks our hearts, right? We hate it. We hate the confusion there. We hate to see anybody who's identifying with something that directly opposes who it is that God created them to be. Here's the thing. Christians do this all the time. Jesus has, or God has raised you with Christ Jesus. He has seated you in heavenly places. He has got rid of the filthy rags, but we want to keep identifying with the filthy rags, which is in direct opposition to who it is that Jesus gave his life for us to be. 
We're identifying with the past us instead of identifying as a new creation in Christ. Listen, because good did come from Nazareth, because Jesus did good perfectly, When he died on the cross, the blood that he shed was a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. The old has passed away. The new has come. Our future is secure. Here is our new identity. Dressed in righteousness alone, faultless, we stand before the throne. That is your new identity. That's where you live from. That's where the good comes from. And this is so important. We have to understand who we are in Christ. Because if we don't, we're not going to produce goodness. We're not going to bear the fruit of goodness in our lives. And it's goodness that overcomes evil. One of the reasons there's so much evil in the world is because Christians don't know who they are in Christ. They're still going, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, good can come out of you. And it's that good, it's that organic, it's that supernatural, non-GMO modified fruit of the spirit, irresistible, that's going to bring change. But you can't produce it if you don't believe who you are in Christ and you don't embrace it and start to live from there. Good can, from, can come from you because good came from Nazareth. Amen? All right, number three, do good. Only God is good. God is only good. You are good, so let's do good. Do good. God made you good. Not so that you could keep goodness to yourself. Like Pastor Josh talked about in week one, apples don't eat themselves, right? Apples are for other people. They're to help other people taste and see that the Lord is good. This fruit of goodness, it's not for you. It's for others. We have to do good. Now, when I'm talking about doing good, again, I'm not talking about goodness that anybody could do, saved or unsaved. Like opening the door for somebody at on cue, letting somebody go before you like at a traffic situation, um, um, paying for the person behind you at Chick-fil-A, that's not the kind of goodness that I'm talking about. That's nice, that's sweet, that's kind. Let's do those things, okay? But I'm talking about goodness that you can only do because you're born of God. I'm talking about doing good like God does good. Goodness exclusive to, to followers of Jesus Christ. When I think about doing good like God does good, I think about two sisters that I've been reading and studying, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. You've probably heard of Corey Ten Boom, um, but I've really been drawn to Betsy lately and her story. And the Ten Boom family, they were part of the Dutch um, underground resistance um, to, uh, during World War II. They were smuggling Jews during World War II. They had a secret hiding place that was built in their father's uh, watch shop above their home. And it was in Corey's bedroom, this hiding place. And people would come to them scared for their lives, fearing for their lives, Jewish people, and they would let them in. They would give them a place to stay. They would help hide them. They would provide for them. If they didn't have room for them, they would work with the underground network and they'd find another place for them to stay. They were doing all of this right in the middle of Nazi-occupied Holland. They knew the risk. They knew what could happen if they were caught, but they did not care. They were going to overcome evil with goodness. Now, somebody um, set or, or 
told the Gestapo what was happening at the Tin Boom house. And they went in and they raided the house. And Corey and her sister Betsy, their father, their brother, they were all arrested and taken to prison. Horrible conditions. They were separated, isolated. They learned later that their father passed away just 10 days after being in prison. And then from that prison, they were transferred to a concentration camp. And then they were transferred to another concentration camp. Now, the only thing better about the concentration camp was that the girls got to be together. The sisters got to be together in these camps. And when they arrived to the concentration camps, they had to strip down completely naked. They had to walk past SS guards who scrutinized them. They had to put on these thin prison dresses and they had to trade their names for numbers. Then they were taken to these barracks where they were going to be living in which they didn't see individual beds but they saw these big wooden platforms one stacked on top of another like several bunk bed type of situations wide bunk beds and they were stacked one on top of the other and they were stacked so closely that they couldn't even sit all the way up in their bed they were just stacked on top of each other and there were supposed to be 400 women in this barrack there was 1400 women And they didn't have bedding. They didn't have pillows. The platforms were filled with hay that was moldy and that was sour and that was mildew and that was filled with fleas. This is the conditions that they were living in. And then they would have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning for roll call and stand at attention for so long that their feet would swell, their legs would swell, and while they're standing in roll call, they could hear what was happening at the punishment barracks next to them. Some of the women knew their husbands were over there in the punishment barracks. They could hear blows landing in regular rhythm and screams keeping pace as they waited and stood there being dehumanized. And then after roll call, they had to do long, tedious labor details where they just worked their fingers to the bone. They were fed black bread, turnip soup. It was, it was terrible. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine much worse living conditions. But in these conditions where they were at, Betsy and Corey clung to the goodness of God. They cleaved to the goodness of God. They did Bible studies in their barracks. They were leading women to Christ, worship services. All throughout her book, Corey talks about her sister Betsy and her goodness. Betsy ended up dying in the concentration camp. She got really sick and she ended up dying in one of their hospitals. But Betsy or Corey was released. She wrote her book, The Hiding Place, which is amazing. But in the book, she talks all about the goodness of Betsy. She talked about how when the war showed up on their back porch, when they finally made it to the Netherlands and they could hear bombs dropping all around them before they started hiding Jews, before they became part of the resistance, they're there in their kitchen and they hear the bombs dropping and they're praying for the people that are dying. They're praying for the people who are fighting. And then Corey hears her sister Betsy praying not for the the oppressed, but she's praying for the oppressor. She's praying for the Germans who are dropping the bombs. And Corey at this point is like, She's on another level, Lord. Don't listen to my prayers, listen to hers. I can't pray for the oppressor like she's praying for the oppressor. And this didn't change. Betsy's tune did not change when she went into those concentration camps where she was treated so terribly. She had this burden that she would talk to her sister about, about teaching the women in these prisons to love. 
Corey thought naturally she's talking about the other prisoners, but Betsy was talking about teaching the guards, the ones who mocked her, beat her, scrutinized her, responsible for her father's death. She was talking about teaching the oppressors to love. She had a burden for them. When she saw these guards, she didn't see an enemy, but she saw a wounded person that God, she wanted to infiltrate with God's love. She loved the oppressed and the oppressor. Jesus came for the oppressed and the oppressor. When they first found out in the concentration camps who it was that routed them out to the Gestapo, the person who was responsible for all they had been through, Corey was filled with anger. She said she was just inflamed, engulfed in anger, so much so that if the man was to be standing right in front of her, she knew she could murder him without a thought. But Betsy wasn't like that. She didn't see that anger in her sister and it bugged Corey. Like, what are you doing? Why isn't this bothering you? So a few days after they found out and she still hadn't seen the reaction she was looking for from her sister, she asked her, Betsy, don't you feel anything about him? Doesn't it bother you? Betsy said, oh yes, Corey, terribly. I felt for him ever since I knew and pray for him when his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. Corey hears this and then she writes in her book, for a long time, I lay silent in the huge shadowy barracks, restless with the sighs, snores, and stirrings of hundreds of women. Once again, I had the feeling that this sister with whom I'd spent all my life belonged somehow to another order of beings. She belonged somehow to another order of beings. Corey went on to walk in the same unthinkable goodness that her sister did. She forgave her enemies and she taught, she spent her life teaching others to forgive their enemies. Why do I tell you this story today? It's because this is the kind of God or this is the kind of good that God wants you to do. This is the kind of good that overcomes evil. This is the kind of good that causes people around you to wonder if you're somehow from another order of beings because the truth is you are you are a citizen of heaven your goodness on display it should cause people to ask questions it should stop people in their tracks it should cause people to wonder how how are you taking care of your dad like going out of your way to take care of him and to be there for him while he goes through this sickness when he wasn't there for you as a kid how are you doing that? How are you able to forgive your spouse when they cheated on you? How do you pray for them? How do you pray for your ex-husband? How have you been able to forgive that person? Why do you defend that person? Why do you do that? Or why don't you defend yourself? Questions like, how are you able to give God glory? in the midst of what you're going through? How are you able to find reasons to be thankful right now with all that you're dealing with? Your goodness should cause people to ask questions. Goodness poured out of Betsy Tin Boom because when things got dark, when they got the darkest, she knew that God was still shining, that he had never turned away from her. And because of that, she never turned away from him. So she, in turn, was able to radiate this light, this light that could not be extinguished. That's what we're called to do. 
We're called to do good like God does good. We're called to radiate a light that can't be extinguished, that will burn on even after we leave this earth. But the only way that we're going to have that kind of light in our life is if there's no shadow of turning in us. When things get hard, when we're in that pit, that we don't get angry and turn away from God, but that we press into him and saying, I know that you're here with me and I know I will see the goodness of God. I can't see it right now, but I know I will see the goodness of God. I know that your grace is sufficient for me. I know that you're walking with me through this. When we reach out our hand and say, we trust that you are good and only good, there can be no shadow of turning in us. Saying, God is good. Only God is good. God is only good. You are good because God is good in you. So let's do good. Let's do good like God does good. Amen? If you would, stand to your feet. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.